April Graves was a mother already of three boys. And for me, I, I again, she was a mother with no girl. I was a little girl without a mother. It was, it's a very simple equation. So for me, I had no experience of what a mother or father should be. I was on my own. I was an adult at, you know, 17 months. And so for me, she simply filled in where my biological mother was. It's as simple as that. This is season three of the Smart Justice Podcast, A Chance at Life. Crime and punishment are hot topics. Are there solutions different than what we're hearing about at a national level? Kids find themselves just struggling to survive, doing the best they can. There is a different way to approach justice that has better return on investment. We don't want people to be dependent. We want to help them get to stability. That uh, seems to strengthen both law enforcement and courts. Uh, the number one goal in most cases, we want reunification. And tie that together with community resources and then track the impact to communities and better outcomes. The best place for a, a child who's in our foster care system is with a family. And we're calling this approach Smart Justice. Smart Justice is a work of Restore Hope and partner organizations. Restore Hope is a software and services organization that helps communities achieve better outcomes for justice and child welfare efforts. Smart Justice is focused on optimizing the system by improving the relationships among its parts. A chance at life. In this third episode of Season 3, A Chance at Life, we're discussing the role of foster families. To start that discussion, we introduce you to Allie Graves. Um, get ready because, you know, this is a bit of a long story, but I was born in Galveston and uh, my birth parents could not care for me. There was drugs, criminal record, um, also just that generational curse of not knowing how to take care of a child. And so they were done there, but my biological father came back um, to the hospital in Galveston and um, took a Greyhound bus to Texarkana, Texas. From there, he... Um, Basically, just trying to get someone else to take care of me. So he went to the church. He went to his biological family. They didn't want me, so he went back to the church. He dropped me off with uh, Mother's Day Out director there, and he didn't come back. And so from about three months until 17 months, I was with this lady that was at the church and her family, the very safe, very healthy family. So April Graves was actually the woman who was the Mother's Day Out director. And so from that three to 17 months, um, you know, she filled in that role of mother and the biological family that didn't want me at first realized they can get some, you know, tax benefits off of me. And it wasn't too long after that until a man came into the household, a boyfriend, and he was a pedophile. And so I spent the first four years of my childhood, which should have been dancing and playing and going to the beach and you know, trying to beat up my six foot one brothers and said I was being abused and neglected on a daily basis. Um, and so, yeah, no, no child should ever go through that. Um, it's something that is still at age 21, very much burned into my mind and something that has affected a lot of my life choices and um, in good ways and bad ways. My uh, half uncle walked in on me being abused by my, my uh, he wasn't my biological uncle, but the boyfriend. And, um, 
he said, I'm not doing this. He called 911, called authorities. And so I was placed into foster care immediately, forensic interview, the whole shebang. And uh, my social worker uh, called April Graves kind of in a crisis and in despair because she, you know, I was a totally different child than when she first saw me. She, she's told April Graves, I don't think anybody is going to want this child because of the things that I had seen, the way that I was acting. And so uh, because I already had that previous relationship with the Graves family, I, I felt safe. You know, I, I, was, I, I felt like I could be a child again, and, and it, was a, it was a safe home. It was a healthy home. And after that, the Graves family finally did all the papers, did all the money, and had me placed in their home. Got custody of me at five, and then I was adopted at six. So from there, that's kind of where the, the happy, happy ending kind of started with, with the Graves family. Something that's really important for foster parents to know is whether you have a child for 24 hours a week or way longer than you ever signed up for, that the brain of a child, whether that is an infant, a toddler, a teen, is a emotional impact that will allow them to psychologically be okay as an adult. As for me, because I had that three to 17 months, I was declared to be in the future to have secure attachment, and to be psychologically stable. If I hadn't had that, Lord knows where I'd be. Probably be in that corner right now, not making sense. And so it's hard and you have to persevere and it's something that is, um, is chaotic, but there is hope in that mess. There is a hope and a future for that child. And that, that's why these people sign up, is that this child hopefully will have a better future than what they were born into. That's the whole point of being a foster parent is being the secure attachment that that child does not have. You, you are stepping in to be what that child needs. You know, at the end of the day, a lot of these people who are choosing to foster, they do it because they love children. And, they'll, and the last thing, this is one of my pet peeves, especially with people who are kind of naive to the foster care culture, I guess, is, or pe people who, who are they know that to be a foster parent is an amazing thing, um, but they are kind of scared to do it. I don't want to get emotionally attached to whatever. This is not a dog. This is a human. <laughs> this is a human. And if you don't get emotionally attached, they're not going to be okay. End of story. So what we just heard from Allie as she was sharing part of her story with us was um, that as, as things sometimes uh, things get so bad that the child has to be taken into state custody. And then that child has to be placed uh, in a safe and the best place to, place, uh, to put that child is in a family-like setting if they can't be with their family. And so that, that is termed a resource parent or what we just always talked about as a foster parent. Uh, and Andrew, you and Amy have been foster parents uh, for some time. Um, can you share with us how many children have you had through your home and what was that experience like? Uh, we've had 15 children through our home and you know length of stay that uh, it varied we've had some for over a year um, we've had some for even more than a year 
In most of the cases that have come into our home specifically, those kids have thankfully been able to return to a family member. Uh, not in all cases, but uh, in most of the cases. And so, you know, family unification has been forefront. Uh, we've never looked at ourselves uh, from a perspective that we're there to be their new family or their new parents. We're there to be a support. Uh, some come having, you know, families are just there at a challenge point and they need this gap, uh, somebody to help build the bridge. While in other cases, it was, it was, it was bad. Uh, and those kids have lived through horrific things. and. Uh, they're brought into your home and you know people often ask well you know don't 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 tell all the real bad stuff and my answer is no I'm gonna tell you the truth and so when that is the case we need places that those kids can go and be safe and be loved and know the value that they have so they have a chance right we're, we're wanting them to have a chance we're wanting them to be important members of society uh, we don't want them to be the outcast uh, by any stretch of the imagination. One of my frustrations with Hollywood is the picture that's painted of foster kids, right? Those kids didn't choose that. They didn't choose to be separated from their families, to be separated from all that they have known, but in this time that they are, and to step into that, uh, to say it's been easy would be a lie. No, it's not been easy. Uh, but it's also been 100% worth it. Yeah, when, had, the, when the family is uh, in such a crisis state, that the children have to be removed, that the state will exercise that kind of power to remove children from a parent, um, then those that you under, then you just have to understand that some really bad stuff has preceded that. 100%. And those kids are um, a victim of kind of that environment at, in the very least, at least the removal where they don't have a say yet because they're a minor. And so they come into your home. Well, what's the first day like? I mean, you get the knock on the door and the social worker's there and introducing Paul Chapman to you. Now the, you're gonna stay here for a while as your mom gets things sorted. What's that like? Well, one of the challenges is every time it's been different, right? Every time it's been at a different time of the day, every time it's been a different story that led them there. But so just imagine, you know, you've had the experience of being removed, which is never a pleasant, I, I mm -hmm. don't, I can't think of one case I know of where removal was pleasant. But now that may scare some people that are contemplating. They're hearing the need and they have compassion and they have the ability. I've got an extra room. Um, it, they, they're hearing you say it's hard, but they're trying to envision what it would be like to bring this kid who's just suffered trauma of removal at the very least into their home and they're very scared about that. What, what's that like? Imagine for yourself that right now I was gonna tell you I wanna give you a random address in the city of Little Rock and I want you to go knock on the front door and I want you to see if they'll let you in. Because that's what every kid's feeling, right? So how, how do I get in front of that? Well. Every time we would have a kid who would be coming to our home, we would try to meet them at the street, mm. right? And if possible, we're asking questions of the resource worker or the caseworker who's bringing them. Like, what can you tell us about them already? Names, things that they like, all, all of those pieces that could at least make a connection point, right? Mm -hmm. 
This is challenging for everybody. But just stop, take a deep breath, and pause and put yourself in the kid's shoes. The person who has zero control over the situation. Mm. Zero, right? Um, and I've had families who have said, well, I just wish they understand how much we've done for them. That has zero relevance to them. Zero. Why does that have no relevance to them? Because they don't know where that's coming from. Like, they don't know you. Uh, the burden of connection is not on the child. The burden of connection is on the people who have said they will open their home. Is that burden worth it? 100%. I, I would do it again. Um, but understanding that you know, there, there's not some perfect formula here because every situation is different. Don't you think as you um, have had more and more children in your home, you've become a veteran? Uh, that, that I, I guess. You gain the, the wisdom to be able to uh, understand what the child's going through and how to respond in a better way. Um, that's why I, I think it's important not only that we have more families be foster families, but if we can keep families like you and Amy, um, there is now you, you've got the experience and that veteran experience is very important to be able to help uh, kids in our community as well. Well, I'm not the only person at this table who's a veteran. In fact, I think you got a couple of years on me, my friend. So what, what's, what's the Chapman family story? By the way, your wife's unbelievable, but that's... Yes, she is. Yes, she is. So, and that's really where our story starts is uh, we started dating as we were kids. Uh, we were 16 years old and uh, Lori had mentioned over the years of, of us uh, growing up together that she always wanted to uh, adopt. And, um, and I thought for sure that I'd talk her out of that or she'd grow out of it. But um, we had um, started having kids of our own. Um, I was in financial technology and uh, had made a transition just to the church to work as a pastor. Um, and while I was uh, at the church, Within the first several months, a lady uh, came in. Her name was Mary Carol Peterson. And I got invited to the meeting. I'm still trying to figure out what it means to be a pastor. Um, and she pulls up this PowerPoint slide real quick. She says, um, we have a uh, crisis, a child welfare crisis in our community in Pulaski County. Uh, here are the number of children that are in foster care. Here are the number of protective services cases. I didn't know what any of this meant. And, um, and she said, the way that I read my Bible, that uh, God cares about kids that are in crisis and families that are in crisis. Seen, I've just shown you that there are families in crisis in this community. You're the leaders of the church, and I'm coming here to ask you what you're going to do about it. I can remember standing around going, I think she sewed that argument up. I think she's got us in a corner where we're gonna to have to actually do something. And there was a, a pastor that I had the benefit of working many, many years with, with uh, Ray Williams, who had been heavily involved in the community. And, and he started calling people around and Mary Carroll started calling DCFS workers. And I can still remember this very first meeting where there were just community members, whether they be agency personnel or just folks from the community that cared about kids were trying to understand, uh, one, what really was going on and then what could the community do about it if we chose to. And so, you know, after that community meeting, it was determined that an organization should be created that would bridge 
the gap between the churches uh, that wanted to recruit and train and the DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services, and that organization is called The Call that's been in existence now for going on 15 years and has helped thousands of individuals. So uh, that's how I got connected and we had the opportunity to sit down with the um, executive director of The Call and the executive director of an, an over a hundred year, uh, year old organization that's been in child welfare uh, for that long called Arkansas Baptist Children and Family Ministries. It's now the largest uh, private placement provider for foster parents in the state of Arkansas. Kristen is with The Call and The Call uh, launched about 16 years ago out of Mary Carol Peterson's um, Making People Aware and then we're with Derek Brown, and Derek is the executive director of Arkansas Baptist Children and Family Ministries. So y'all, foster families, um, let's talk just a little bit about the importance of foster families in Arkansas. So one is, um, how many children right now are in foster care uh, in Arkansas? There's approximately 4,200 children and youth in foster care in Arkansas today. And so, uh, how many foster families are needed to care for those 4,200 kids? So right now we have around 1,600 foster families in the state of Arkansas, but we need more. Our goal is for kids to stay as close to their in-county as possible. And so when we don't have enough foster families in their local home county, then they have to transport from county to county lines and it causes more of a burden on DCFS, more of a burden for the bio families. And so we really need to increase that number closer to the 2,000 to 2,400 mark. So we're about four or 500 families shy right now. Yes. How long does it take to become a foster family? So that can vary. There's a lot of requirements, obviously, to certify a family. On average, our goal is that we have a family certified within 90 days to 120 days. Okay. And is there any guess on how long a family kind of contemplates becoming are serving in this way before they start down the road to becoming certified? I think every family has to identify when the time is right for them, you know, and so most families who come to us, they've been thinking about it for a while. You know, it is a big decision. Sometimes it takes knowing a family uh, in order to decide to make that commitment for yourself. You've seen somebody else do it. You've engaged with somebody at church who's become a foster family and you think, hey, I can do that too. And so for many families, yeah, it takes seeing that encounter, but some are ready to sign up and go right away, and so we appreciate both. Can we talk about why someone would foster? Mm -hmm. I mean, when y'all, when you obviously, you work with a lot of families that have chosen to do so, and what would you say, you know, are the whys behind doing something? Because it, it's pretty, raising kids is a pretty hard thing, and then, you know, having a child that's not biologically yours introduced in your household could be pretty disruptive. I think it comes down to empathy. You know, I think there are a lot of reasons that people stay, uh, that they foster, but I think ultimately it comes down to empathy. We find that some people have been in similar situations throughout childhood, and as adults, they want to offer another child a different trajectory, a different path. The call has uh, been around for about how many years? Now? 16 years. 16 years, and do you have any idea on how many foster families you've helped recruit? We do, um, and it's, it's so amazing to have a little piece in this. Our foster families are just amazing. So in the 16 years that the call has existed, we have helped train and open over 3,000 foster families in the state of Arkansas. 
And those families have gone on to help support over 28,000 children and youth in foster care in Arkansas and have adopted over 3,000 children into their forever families. So it's an amazing, amazing thing to get to witness and to see these families step into this ministry setting. So how do y'all go about doing that? Yeah, so the call exists. We mobilize local Christian churches to step into this mission field of foster care. And so we work with churches to recruit and raise awareness. And once those families step up and say we're interested, then we train them, we provide trauma education, and we really work to build that community network of support around them. Once the families are open, we wanna engage that network to support them, because it's a hard job. And so we wanna support them with support groups, continuing education, and immediate care needs. Derek, how do y'all go about uh, finding your folks that would serve as foster family? Uh, we find that for us, it's about engaging uh, the community that we're in. And so we're looking at, you know, asking church people, will you step up and do this? But I do think that comes back to just education and understanding of recognizing that this is something that any church person can be involved in, regardless of what church they go to or where they are. Uh, this is something that they can do. And so whether that is being a foster parent or whether it's just engaging that foster community, it is a hard job. We want to make it as easy as possible, and we do that through community. So, so uh, Arkansas Baptist Children and Family Ministries has been around for a long time in Arkansas serving. Can you just give us a quick overview of, of what that's looked like? Yeah, so in 2024, it'll be 130 years uh, that we've existed as an organization. So uh, we've been around for a minute. And so I told somebody recently, though, I feel like 129 years startup because we do a lot of new things, even though we've been around for a long time. Uh, it's amazing that y'all have been able to, to kind of flex with the context of what was going on. Yeah, and you know, I was actually looking through our history just recently and seeing just the gravitation toward uh, creating some change and being more family focused and so on. And so it's beautiful even to see the things that we're doing now were talked about in the 1960s. Mm. And so, you know, just a progression toward how can we be more family centric? And so in recent years, as as a state, um, really both the state of Arkansas and at a national level, there's been more of a push to get back uh, to having a family focus of keeping kids with their bio family if at all possible, or maintaining the most family-like setting um, possible for the purpose of getting kids back to family. You know, you're talking about family and it just kind of struck me as um, over the years I've contemplated, you know, the difficulty in, in finding families and, and keeping families in this kind of hard service and um, and why we need the community so much is because of the importance of the family in raising a child. It's really the community is, is the one who is needed to be able to serve that child and the biological family so that they might get back together again. Um, Kristen, what have you seen over the years with the call and, and recruiting and supporting foster families, there's a shift that's been going on for a number of years in the state for placing with uh, relatives, mm -hmm. with kin, and uh, can you just talk about what you've seen there? Sure, so there's been a significant shift within the state, and the goal is, if at all possible, to keep those bonds within the child and youth with their family as long as possible. And so if mom and dad maybe need a little time to get some resources and help that they need, the next ideal place is maybe with an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent. 
And so our goal at the call is to support them well because those family members need help just like any other foster family would need help. And so we wanna help provide a community of network to support them, tangible things they may need, immediate care items. But these families are stepping up to be that interim placement for that child and they need just as, as much support as any traditional foster family would need. Derek, um, I don't know how many years ago, but uh, you were one of the few organizations that started this private placement. So 2017, Arkansas um, created a contract for placement providers to do private placement foster care. That was new to our state. It wasn't new across our country. Some states had already moved to 100% uh, private placement, but for Arkansas, this was a very new thing. Uh, at the time, uh, the goal really was to take, you know, some residential care providers who wanted to shift from that model of care to more of a family-centric model of care to give them a way to do that. And we were certainly uh, one to want to jump uh, to take that step. And so, you know, the goal is uh, what we would do through residential care, we do through care in the homes. And so private foster care, the state reaches out to us with a child, and we have a family that we've trained and equipped. We've done the home study, we've done the training, and we do the case management. So we actually can come in and, and place that child into a home that we've equipped um, to be a foster home to take care of that child. So the kids still are, are state custody kids, but the homes are, are trained and supported through a private agency like ours. And so we feel like if we do our job well, then kids will uh, have more placement stability and will have better foster parent retention. And so the, the foster parenting journey is hard, um, but we've heard so many times there are, there are challenges beyond just taking care of the kids. And so what we've said often is we wanna make sure that taking care of the kids is the hardest thing to foster care, not the, not the system or the process or the, the, you know, the difficulty of getting the training that you need or when you have challenges to make sure that somebody is available to help you through those. And so I think for private foster care through the last several years, we've been able to demonstrate solid placement stability, solid foster parent retention. And so that's helped that to grow and to, you know, just have a better partnership with the state. Our goal is not to replace the state. Our goal is not to say, hey, we do better than the state. Our goal is to help the state to take care of the families who take care of the kids so that they'll stay in the game longer. You know, ultimately what we need in our state is veteran foster families. We need people who've done this a time or two. Um, that's why I, I think it's important not only that we have more families be foster families, but if we can keep families like you and Amy, now you've, you've got the experience and that veteran experience is very important to be able to help. Uh, kids in our community as well. And we got to talk with um, a veteran foster family, Dennis Berry, sat down with us and we got to interview him about the over 100 children that have come through his home. So last week we took in our 165th child. Lots of kids. The day we got opened, they called us within hours and said, we have two children we need you to take in tonight. And we, we started right then in summer of 2008. We normally have a long-term placement or two, which is a, a brother and a sister, brothers, sisters, that we're gonna keep for six months, nine months throughout the course of their case. 
but the need is so great and there's so few homes and so few beds available because a lot of foster homes are full already that when the DCFS, the Department of Children and Family Services worker calls us and when they take kids into care at night, a lot of times on a Friday afternoon, we'll take those kids in just for the night, just for the weekend, as they're calling other foster families trying to find a more long-term place, stable place to, to put the kids. The great part about being a foster parent is you have total control of when you say, yes, I'll take a child or no, I won't. The need will definitely be there no matter when somebody is comfortable, ready, and willing to make the commitment, the need will be there. So people need to understand that when Department of Children and Family Services calls you to take a child, they're going to tell you if it's two, four, six, eight, a boy, a girl. They're going to tell you about the situation and you're going to be able to make an educated decision, not rushed, and decide whether you're going to take that child or children in a lot of cases. And so don't feel rushed, don't feel hurried about it, and do what's right for you and your family. Unfortunately now, the case is that so many kids have come into care and there's not enough homes that those calls to take kids come quite often. And there could be a time here in just a couple of minutes I get a text or two while we're sitting here talking about this need. You know, there's been kids that uh, have been so traumatized, they have attachment disorders. And we've had to work through those attachment disorders. And it's very painful uh, while you're going through it because the kids don't like it, they, they're uncomfortable, they have their reaction to the love and support you're showing them. But once you get past that, it's, it's a really warm feeling. It's, it, it shows that there's success out there. And we don't have success with every child, but when we do, it's, it's really impactful. How do you get started? You know, there's so many great ways to get started. Um, you know, you can find out with DCFS on the internet. You can, you can inquire there. I know Every Child Arkansas has a great new website where people can go through questionnaires to find out which way you'd like to become licensed and become open. There's several great groups here in Arkansas to support you. But the training's important. You want to make sure you have good training and you have the opportunity to ask a lot of questions. The trainers that are out there, in fact, you know, I train families as well. So we get to get out and train families and, and give them some of our experiences of what we've seen, what we've done, how to work with traumatized children. You know, one thing we have to tell new families is these kids are not your biological children. They haven't been living with you from birth. They've been living in different circumstances, in a different environment, and have a different set of expectations and a different set of acceptance of rules. And so we really need to be attentive to what the kids' needs are. We have to give them distance. We have to use a lot of grace with the children that come into our home. We really do. So when children come into foster care, the state, DCFS, wants to put these children with family. As great as I think it might be to live in my house, I believe, and Natalie, we believe it's better for those children to be with their families. God gave these kids to that family. And if that family lives differently than we do, that's okay. That's the family God gave them, as long as it's safe and healthy for the kids to be there. So we fully support kids being with family. There have been many times we've taken kids into our home because of some police contact where the parents are not available. And unfortunately, aunts, uncles, grandparents aren't available that time when the parents come into, with kids come into care. There are times though where we've had those kids for a weekend and by the end of the weekend, by Monday morning, the grandparents find out the kids are in foster care. That's where they need to be. 
I fully believe that. And so if family steps up to take care of the kids, we're very appreciative of those families. We really do. And that's what families should do, is stand up and take care of your own. The state of Arkansas has kind of this strategy now that we've been moving to since the Family First legislation happened in D.C. And that was to increase the number of um, kinship or, or relative placements to about 40%, which we've been sticking at for at least a year. Uh, and then those other 60% we're trying to move to those 60% of foster families being private placement. And so how in the world, y'all, do we do that quickly? Um, really, it comes down to recruiting. So we can have all of the strategy in the world, all of the collaboration, but at the end of the day, families have to know we will take care of them. And so we talk about wanting to retain foster families, and ultimately that's our goal. But when we think retention, we want the season to last as long as they think it can last. And so we realize not everybody can sign up to do this for the rest of their lives. You sign up for a season. What we want is to make sure that season doesn't end prematurely because of complications. And so I think if we can support really well so that we have foster parents staying in the game longer and then do our best recruiting collaboratively using every method that we know how, whether that's a, a high-tech, you know, consumer engagement type method or whether it's just face-to-face -face on the ground, what we need to know is that, um, you know, people need to know that there's a need and ideally, we keep foster children in their own community. If we do this well, we keep kids close, we make it possible for them to go home sooner, and then because we foster locally, we can engage locally after they go home and, and try to engage that community continually. I was looking at a report that, that uh, DCFS had produced a few weeks ago, and it seemed like there wasn't a community in Arkansas that had half the kids taken from the county, placed in the county. Is that right? That's right. Right now we're seeing the majority of kids are placed, we call it out of county. And so that really creates a twofold issue. One, when these children move out of county, they're separated from the bonds that they did have. And we know that attachment and healthy bonds are key to stable children, families, adults. And so when they're moved out of county, they lose that relationship with maybe a church they have connections with, a coach, a counselor, a teacher, their friends. And so now they're separated from their home and their biological family and every other connection that they have. Mm -hmm. And then they're placed out of county, which creates double the workload on the state on the Division of Children and Family Services. So now these children or their bio families are being transported from county to county for visits, for therapy appointments, for court meetings. And so it just overloads the system that's already overloaded. Plus it's not creating those healthy um, key bonds for those children in care. And so what I'm hearing you say is what we really need is people in the community mm -hmm. to kind of own the problem mm -hmm. uh, in their own community. And if they can care for their own community members, then it starts to really take care of the problems overall, that we're going to have to straighten this out um, to be able to provide the kind of care that our children deserve. Where could someone go to find out what the situation uh, is in their own community? So there's tons of resources, and that's one thing. The state of Arkansas is further ahead than most other states in the nation in partnership with the Division of Children and Family Services and local partners like Arkansas Baptist Ministries, The Call, and so many others. 
And so you can go to everychildarkansas.org and you can plug in your zip code and it's gonna tell you the local partners that you can connect with. And there they can provide all the local numbers of the number of kids in care and tangible ways that you can get in and support bio families, foster families, or even step, as a, step up as a foster family yourself. For those considering fostering, um, exactly what is the job? It really boils down to saying yes and opening your home to be a safe, loving, healing home. It's not that you can fix all the issues, but it's that you're willing to listen and be supportive of that placement, whether it's with you for a day, a week, or a year, however long that may be. Yeah, so I've got a bunch of kids, and kids are expensive, <laughs> like bad expensive. Uh, and so if I'm considering fostering and bringing more children in, you know, is there any help uh, to offset those, the expenses of raising now additional kids? Yeah, so the state does uh, pitch in and support that, whether through a private placement agency or directly through the state. Every foster parent will get a stipend each month based on the number of days in care uh, the child has, has been in your home. And so it's not considered compensation. Uh, nobody gets paid to be a foster parent. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you do it right, all of this will go toward the care of the child. But if you do it right, you shouldn't have to come out of pocket a whole lot otherwise. And so. Uh, the state doesn't want this to cost you something other than your time and your emotional energy and your effort and your, your love that you put into that. So how do you know if you're qualified to be a, a foster parent? Where, where does that, uh, who makes that decision? So ultimately there's, there's two governing bodies that make the decision. One is the state licensing board. They set the minimum criteria for who qualifies as a foster parent. But then there's also DCFS, and since DCFS is a legal guardian for all of these kids, they have to determine, you know, through every application whether uh, a person qualifies as a foster parent. And they do that through the application and the background checks and also through the home study. And so even where we have a, a partner with DCFS who will do the home study, DCFS ultimately reviews those home studies to determine uh, does this family meet the needs uh, for a foster child. Let's say. I wanted to become a foster parent, and I'm assuming that it starts with me making application, is that right? Yes, so there's an application process that you go through. There's background checks for all adult members of the home, and then there's training. And so that training provides trauma-informed education. It talks about the requirements in the home, what's expected of you, kind of the court process, and it, it's the best way to prepare you as a family to open your home as a foster home. And once you've gone through that, you'll have home studies where then the What's state- a home study? A home study is where someone will come in and verify your home. They'll make sure that all of your medications are locked up and appropriate. They wanna make sure that the home itself, the physical location is safe for any child coming into care. And then about how long does that journey take once I've turned in my application? Some of it depends on you and some of it depends on, uh, you know, the entity that you're working with. I think everybody's goal is, you know, 90 days, but sometimes background checks take longer. If you've been in other states, you know, it's just gonna take longer to get that kind of thing back. When do you start the training? How fast do you go through? Mm -hmm. We can do it in as quick as 90 days, um, but you know, 90 to 120 days is what it's taken most people, so. So let, let's say that, um, that your message uh, has hit me in some way, but I'm not ready to foster right now, but I do want to help in some way and maybe start my journey of contemplation to, to foster, what would I do? 
I think reach out to a local organization. If you go to everychildarkansas.org, put in your zip code and connect with a local organization. There are so many ways to step into this space and not step up as a foster parent just yet. You could be a support family. You could be a volunteer with a local organization. You can work in the um, clothing closets. You can help with the visitation centers. There's so, so many ways. You can work with your church and your business to do pajama drives or gift card drives for teens that come into care. There's a million ways to step in and engage within this space. And so I just encourage you to go to that website and see how you can connect. I guess what we're saying here with uh, fostering and if you're considering becoming a foster parent, staying a foster parent, or helping someone that's fostering right now is, um, it's hard, but it's worth it. Oh, it's 100% worth it because kids are worth it. Like that's the bottom line at the end of the day is kids worth it. Do, do I think that every home in the state of Arkansas needs to be open as a foster home? No, 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 absolutely not. Uh, do I think every person has a role they can play in supporting? Uh, absolutely so. And, uh, you know, but the realization of the value of a child and to see them understand and grow in an awareness of, we want you to know this is a place that is safe. We need more families so kids can stay in their communities. We need more who will come and walk with the parents. And in the recruiting of families to be involved in foster care, we need people who are going to show up and be faithfully present. Why? Because the kids are worth it. You stop and you put that child in your lap. All of a sudden, that's all the perspective I need, right? Because their value is that important. There's so many active foster parents that want to tell their story to help the new foster homes because as a seasoned foster parent, I know that the only help we're going to get to take on the more kids that we have in care is the new foster homes. We want them to open up. We want them to learn from, enjoy the, the, the experience of becoming a foster parent. And we want them to stay as a foster parent too, long term. I think it's always a pot of gold when you listen to someone else's story. I think that's another thing that's really encouraging for foster parents too is um, look at people's stories, listen to people's stories, remember what you're doing this for. You didn't just start this because you wanted to be a good person. Good people don't do this. You know, they're, it's so much deeper than that. People are sacrificing their time, their money, their efforts. Anything that involves love is a risk, but love is eternal. And again, when you're thinking about the next generation of adults and you are even for a short period of time, what's the alternative? Not being able to love at all? What is, the, what, what is that outcome gonna be for that person then? Why do we keep fostering? We had that question from a friend a while back and she asked Natalie, why are you doing this? Because there's some d difficult times, some very tough times you have to go through. I can't imagine life without fostering. The impact you can have on the kid, the hope you can give them, I mean, they're our future. These kids are gonna be in our community and they're gonna be part of our future. And do we want these kids to be struggling or do we want to, them to have the hope and the opportunity to see there's another way to live and make their life better? I always think about that quote of, you know, why would I 
live a life of comfortability, um, knowing that there are thousands of children that if I were to just break off a piece of my heart, that that would make their life better. And I think that's worth it, and I think that's what Arkansas is trying to do. I do believe that Arkansas will be the first state to accomplish something like this, and it is going to change this country, and I think it's going to change the world. Thank you for joining the discussion and to all the resource families and foster parents that have taken up this call. Join us next week as we look at how to resource biological and foster families for the benefit of the children. Smart Justice hosts are Paul Chapman and Dr. Andrew Baker. Thanks to our guests, Sally Graves, Kristen Butler, Derek Brown, and Dennis Berry. Our season three theme song, A Chance at Life, is written and produced by Arkansas artist Jason Truby. Other musical credits include Glacier by Andy Ellison and Future Memories by Caleb Etheridge. Smart Justice is produced by Restore Hope. To learn more, visit www.smartjustice.org.